Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Today you're going to hear my conversation with the singer Steven Sanchez, who makes music that sounds old, like from 1964 or something like that. Take a listen. I don't need these eyes. They're too blind to see. So let me tell you some stuff about Steven Sanchez. First off, he didn't record that song in 1964. He wasn't nearly alive. I I wonder if his parents were even alive. Steven Sanchez is 21 years old. He was born in 2002. My experience growing up as someone who was younger but loved older music is that if you decide to make a career out of it, it can be kind of isolating. I have a lot of friends who grew up loving older music and decided to make a performing career out of it. And they've ended up playing to audiences that are like 40, 50 years older than them. People who were around during the early days of that music. Nothing wrong with that, but it's an interesting challenge. That hasn't really happened with Stephen, thanks to this song. Steven Sanchez, the song is called Until I Found You. Millions of streams on Spotify, billions on TikTok. And there's a lot to analyze about why people in their teens and 20s love a song that sounds like that so much. Steven Sanchez has a theory as to why his older music is hitting a younger generation. And when he says it to you, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Anyway, to catch you up, Stephen sang that song with Elton John at the Glastonbury Festival. He tells a great story about that, too. And uh, Stephen came into our studio to talk a little bit about his music. And he started by talking about digging through his grandfather's garage, finding these records that ended up changing his life. Here's my conversation with Stephen Sanchez. How are you? I'm doing really well, uh, genuinely. Uh, it's It's been a tremendous tour that's been exciting and um, I, I feel good personally which is nice uh, the boys feel good it's just been great things have been going great so uh, let, let's let's talk about the whole thing yeah unlikely for someone of your age to be into this kind of older music and I say this as someone who like you at, at your age was really really into older music and yeah. I, fe- I felt like a bit of an aberration so I'm always really my, a lot of my friends are really into older music sure. and I'm always really curious about what gets them into that thing but I think mm. for you it was, it was your some record collection in your family yeah so so my grandfather he's got property with my grandma in San Jose California yeah. and way up in the you know mountains and all that uh with like two neighbors on either side. Like it's very, very isolated. And, you know, I was growing up there, you know, my whole life going up there, obviously visiting family. And, you know, I think in just my natural curiosity, just being in a place where there wasn't really anything to do but explore, 
Um, I found myself ripping through boxes that were in the garage because there's so many things to look at and, and see. And so I ended up finding records and, you know, the sleeves were just beautiful. Like, I mean, it was just these painted covers of these old crooners and these really nice bespoke suits. And, you know, they're like, the picture has them sat under like starlight. That's like very exaggerated and beautifully painted and like a couple of dancing in the sky and stuff like that. And it was, it was attractive to me just right out of the gate, just because of that, like the, the art of it was so beautiful. And then having discovered it, you know, as like a 10 year old, I'd like pull out records and then show my grandpa what I'd found. And he'd pull me upstairs and we'd sit upstairs and listen through these old speakers that he collected from 40 years ago. And, uh, he fixed up. One more. gold and so when it came to actually making this this album it was exciting for me because it felt like something that just felt so intrinsic just out of the gate because it was just like oh like i've been listening to these artists like roy orbison yeah like for 12 years were, were you, you know? when you started writing songs did they sound like like was it very natural for you to go to those shapes to those chord progressions to those melodies of of those older recordings? Not initially. It's really funny. Like you know, uh, I grew up listening to that music, but it was purely out of just enjoyment. I really got into you know the singer songwriter. Like you know, it was the time when like the folk indie thing was happening. Like Van Fance Joy, Fleet Foxes, Fleet Foxes, like Lord Huron. Yeah. You know, we, we, you know, uh, oh my gosh. Uh, Bon Iver was like, these were artists that I really wanted to make music that sounded like them. respected and loved the music and how it made me feel but it wasn't something that I was making you know that felt like me all the way yeah and then you know with until I found you like mm-hmm. I was I was dating a girl Georgia Georgia That song was like purely just experimental. Like, I love that music. Like, I just bought this guitar, bought this amp that's like very 50s and 60s sounding. I just started playing around and then boom, that song just existed just purely out of the idea of like, I love that music so much. Like, what if I wrote a song like that, that sounded like that? Pull those headphones up on your ears there. Let's, let's Let's just listen to a little bit of it. Stephen Sanchez in a song called Until I, I Found You. 
Um, Buddy Holly there too. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of Buddy Holly there yeah, as why well. Not? You know, for sure. You know, um, and I, 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 I hesitate to mention too much of these artists because I, 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 my guess would be that you don't want to seem like a nostalgia act or you don't want to seem like a retro act or anything like that. Like it's a. I mean, I think it's a cool honor in a way. I think. I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, those guys did it. You know, like they, they really just shaped like what music was going to turn into before like we got there, which is great. I mean, I have such respect for them, the songwriting, the like the innocence of it. I I, I think if I end up, you know, associating in any way with them, I think that's cool. The the innocence of it. Yeah. I don't know. Like if we look at, you know, TikTok songwriters, like there's definitely a, a level of artistry that songwriters have on that platform. They're utilizing it because they really are talented and they really have something to say. But then there's also... The very, you know, almost feels like the majority uh, that writes songs, you know, to go viral because there's like this desire to be important and recognized in the world. And like they will do that at any cost, even at the expense of actually writing something that means something and is an additive to the world. And I feel like songwriters back then, they were writing because it was like, a means of, of, of survival of like keeping this love together, you know, back then and, and keeping this innocence, uh, you know, somewhere in the world, artists like Sam Cooke, right. Mm-hmm. And, and the platters mm-hmm. and let's say what's, what's the other guy, Marvin Gaye. I mm-hmm. mean, they were writing songs because it was like, there was no other way to like, to say what they were trying to say in the world and have it be listened to other than through music, really. Father, father, we don't you see, war is not the answer, for only love can comprehend. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love and here today. I just have so much respect for that, and it's such a difference in music now where it's like, it, it feels like there's not a, a means of survival sort of mentality in songwriting like that it's not this like if I don't confess like my soul in this way then like it's not good enough to be put out into the world yeah it feels like now it's like I want to go viral because I want to feel important Mm -hmm. and I want it to be about me Mm -hmm. when actually in reality music's about people and and the experience and and soundtrack and what's happening with them not what's happening with just you you know, I, I hear what you're saying. There's, there, yeah. it, it's a very uncynical way of making music. It's a very uncynical yeah. way is to 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 look at your own expression and the things I need to say out here and sure. the things that I need to put out there into the world, whether to try to change the world or try to express some sort of like um, you know it, 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 individual heartbreak or something like that. It's a very uncynical way to do it, as opposed to like, hey, I'm going to put this thing out. And it's going to be 15 seconds because it's going to be looped. Exactly. But yeah. I should say, sure. it, it did work out in that way for you, which is very interesting. I mean, <laughs> uh, until I found you, for people who aren't familiar with it, um, five times platinum 1.7 billion streams number one on the billboard alternative chart and and perhaps most interestingly millions and millions of views on tiktok Mm -hmm. so there there you see i think that the the in that there there could be um interpreted as proof that uh younger uh, music listeners in their early 20s or whatever you know the mm-hmm. ones that that are being quote unquote marketed to you as you mentioned absolutely they have an appetite towards more uncynical music yeah exactly which i think it's great for that as well like the platform is so great for that like mm-hmm. you know in the sense that you just got to give it to them you, you just got to give it to them you yeah. got to give them the thing that's like that feels like 
It's got some meat to it. You wrote it about, you mentioned someone named Georgia. Yeah. So you wrote the song about how much you, you loved her, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there was an... Uh, Do you want to talk about this? Sure, of course. Okay, sure. sure. Okay, I mean, well, it's, it's all right. Like, I, I wish her only the very best always. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you want to wish anybody the very best, mm-hmm. you know? I got a few people I wouldn't want to wish the very best to. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, it, but it feels it feels like a weight off your own shoulders to just be like, you know what? I, I hope things turn out sure, all right for Sure, them. sure, sure. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, we we had tried to date and some things happened in my life that kind of moved me to not pursue things and kind of push her away and I and I did. And uh and that song is just kind of about that time where I had pushed her away and there was this realization over those months where I'd been away from her that oh, like I'm I'm at the time like I'm I am devastated without this person in my life. And I think that's a universal feeling of just like the absence of a person that you get to know, like, can really just flip your world upside down in a lot of ways. And uh, for me, this song, like, when it when it actually was written, like, we had dated, you know, we were dating, and it, mm. was, it was great. I was like, I'm so in love. This mm-hmm. is wonderful. And uh, then it was like this reflection of, oh, man, I can't imagine being back in that spot where I've, I lost her. How's the? Um, I don't want to ask too personal a question here. I want to be cautious about asking. That's okay. Not asking too personal a question. Uh, what's your mother's maiden name? I'm only joking. No, the 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 question I want to ask is like when you. Well, I'll put it this way. I have I have uh, I've had the luxury of having friends who I've had the luxury of having friends. Yeah. I've had the luxury of having. <laughs> <laughs> look at me. I mean, it's, it's unlikely. Yes. I, I've had the luxury of having friends yeah. who uh, have written songs about how much they're in love with their. Uh, girlfriend or boyfriend mm. or, or or whatever. Uh, that song. Uh, this has happened to uh, two of my friends actually, and the the songs have done very well, and they've mm-hmm. they've made a couple of bucks off of them, mm-hmm. and 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 therefore they have to sing them every night at the show. And mm-hmm. if they don't sing it, everyone boos and goes home <laughs> unsatisfied. Well, you know what I mean, right? Totally. And <laughs> and in each of those cases, um, they're they they're not together with the. Mm-hmm. person anymore yeah and i'm always very curious about like well what's it like to get on stage and sing that song then every single night sure yeah it's it's a great question uh it feels like this song doesn't really belong to me at this point anymore like it, it's it's one of those things where it's like because there's more than just my memories attached to it it feels like it belongs to something more than just myself it just isn't because when i see a couple dancing in the crowd, connecting to a uh-huh. song that, you know, I wrote for somebody that I once danced with, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's really special. It's a really special thing, uh, especially when I, I look at it from the perspective of these people have no idea, like, what that relationship was like for me. All they know is how that song makes them feel when they're with that person. That is the coolest thing to watch, and it, it's so special for me. So I've got no qualms with it, and I, I love the song still. It's still, it's still great. It is. It's, it's, it's a beautiful yeah. song, and, it, and, yeah. and once again, it did very well for you. I mentioned I mentioned all the streams and the and the charts and the TikTok. I have to imagine it's a life changing song. Totally. I'm still like even the stats you just told me. I, I didn't even know some of those. So thank you. I made. <laughs> I mean, cool. I made. I made some of them up. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's got 30,000. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's more of a two truths and a lie situation. Yeah, you figure sure, sure. it out. No, no, it's, it's doing incredibly well. Yeah. And my, my understanding is that uh, El- Elton John reaches out. He does. What does a phone call from Elton John sound like, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> it's always him letting you know that it's him. It's always like a, it's, it's actually, Elton. I'm like, 
I know. <laughs> Hi, how are you? He, by the way, uh, a great admirer in the early late 1960s and early oh, 1970s yeah. of a lot of those old recordings as well. Oh yeah, you know, um, he, he reaches out to tell you that he's a, he's a fan. That must be meaningful to you. Incredibly. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, his records were some that I pulled out of the box in my oh, grandpa's house. Oh, really? So it's, it's very, very cool. The first time I ever listened to Elton John was that way. Listening to, you know, The Bitch's Back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oh God, it's just so cool to think back on that time because you, know, you spend so much time watching something and, and admiring something and listening to something and then to be face first with it. It's like, it's very... Uh, intimidating in like a beautiful way as well. It's like, wow, this is very, very full circle. Um, and you did Glastonbury with him, right? We did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's still insane to like be able to say that truthfully. Yeah. You know, it feels like a lie every time I mention it. <laughs> and I don't really, I don't like bring it up and talk about it a lot. It also, like, I don't know any artists, like when they do something very significant like that, that like brings it up all the time. Like it very much sits in the pocket of your mind a little mm -hmm. bit and you just kind of reflect on it. Internally, how does it feel on 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 stage? Um, when you in that, in that moment, what's that feeling like? I mean, that's like a lot of people out there. Honestly, I just I remember just hearing it. I remember him setting off the show, pinball wizard, fireworks going off, and the crowd. And it was it was so loud that it was like quiet. So, like it, the space was so big, we were outside that all the cheers just kind of flew to the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So it didn't feel like it could come back and hit you. Like, it just felt like it was just going into heaven. I remember getting ready. You know, I, I used the bathroom and... and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Brandon Flowers is is his green room is next to the bathroom. from from the killers from the killers and uh, he's <laughs> I remember just <laughs> walking into the bathroom and I was peeing <laughs> and he's singing Tiny Dancer. No, Brandon Flowers from the Killers because <laughs> he was singing it with Elton John at Glastonbury like he was the guest. Yeah, and I just remember going, "Oh, my closer, oh. Tiny Dancer." I'm just like, I remember laughing to myself and like saying it out loud. I'm like, Stephen, like, please don't forget the fact that Brandon Flowers is singing Tiny Dancer while you peed. And that's the weirdest, <laughs> that's the weirdest thing that's happened. And so there are all these weird, strange moments before actually getting to the stage. And I, I remember finally it was like, okay, now it's my time to go up. I remember I cleared the room out and I was, it was just me in there. And I just like, I just like got down on my knees and just like prayed that like I could do it because I'm just what a confidence for someone like Elton John to put in a 20 year old kid you know yeah, you're not Dave Grohl you're not I'm Brian not Dave Flowers, Grohl you know um, what I mean yeah. what I mean by that is you don't have those years I mean, of experience I, yeah, I'm not I'm just not the I, I don't feel like I don't feel famous I don't mm -hmm. feel like a big deal or anything like mm -hmm. that and so to be up there with folks that you know kind of are like it's just like it was it was a really humbling moment for me it felt very scary and I just remember just being on my knees like I, I was crying that morning I was so scared and I, I and then I, I I walked I walked down and my heart's pounding and then I'm I'm back behind the stage and there's there's a video of me somewhere of of me behind the stage and you can see the crowd 
And it's just, I remember seeing it for the first time before I really got to look at it. I just saw flags and just thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And as far as you could look, like it just kept going. Wow. And I remember you have to walk out onto the stage to go to the side stage. And so I had to walk out and I saw everything. And then I got to the side and I remember making it a point to really look at everything and really process it as quickly as I could. I was like, you're about to walk out there. There's... 250,000 people. Dude, I'm even getting nervous, like, saying it again. Like, I'm getting kind of shaky. Like, it was, uh, I remember just taking a deep breath, and David, uh, Elton's husband, and uh-huh. uh, he was up there with his kids, and he was just like, go get it, Sanchez. And, like, I just, as soon as I walked out, as soon as he called my name, I just felt like, I just felt like I could split the sky in half. Like, I was just, I was fearless which freaked me out even a little more because I walked out and I I just didn't feel scared like at all like I just felt like I could do anything and we played the song and it went tremendously well and I had the crowd sing it back and they did which is puts so much into perspective the reach that that song has had as well And I went up and hugged Elton, and uh, and then that was it. And and then I walked back to the green room, and someone texted me. They're like, Paul McCartney was watching you, and I was oh like, Oh my I was god! Like, holy wow. shit! And I was wow. like, Holy shit! And then uh, you know, and then I went and watched the rest of his set, and uh, you know, all these artists came up left and right to me to say how good. Slash came up and gave me a fist bump. He said, you're amazing. Kate Hudson pinched my cheek. I was like, oh my God, Penny Lane. <laughs> Penny Lane likes me. You know, I'm not Stillwater, but she loves me, you know? And, uh, oh my God, Rick Astley came up to me. They're never going to give you up. They're never going to give you up. And he was like, oh, you're amazing. And I was like, thank you. And, uh, and then, I like how he says that like he sings. And then, yeah. I swear to God, I'm, I'm, I'm sad. We just finished out and we watched Elton play Rocket Man for the last time. Yeah, last show. Last show. And, I, and I'm standing there and I see Paul McCartney across the way. And I'm like, holy shit. And as we're leaving, you know, the show ends. And Paul McCartney comes walking towards me. No way. I would lose my mind. Oh my God. I was, I was freaking out. I was, like, yeah. I was like, I was just staring at him. I was like, he's not walking towards me right now. And, he, and, he, and then he was. And he was walking like this. He was like, very like, very cool. Very cool with it. And he just goes, and he stops and he goes, you. And I was like, He's like, yeah, you. And, and he comes walking towards me even more. And we, and we come together. And he's like, holy, you've got some pipes, man. And I was just like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And then he just pulls me in for this long, deep hug. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm just, I'm hugging him for a while. And I'm just like, this man's not loosening his grip. Like, he's like hugging me for a minute. And he's ah. like, he's like, man, it's, it's, the, it's the ley lines, you know, Glastonbury. It's, uh. You know, uh, Stonehenge is the heart shocker of the earth. It's why there's so much love here. I'm like, wow, th- like name a more Paul McCartney thing to say. Like, and, and then, uh, and then that was it. And he said, "Well done, man." Like, and and then I left, and I was like, 
I actually, I went back to the green and I threw a chair because like I was so excited. <laughs> I was so excited. I literally picked up a chair and I chucked That's it. That's the happiest wall. chair throwing in rock and roll history, chair. by the way. It was the happiest chair throwing in, yeah, in rock and roll uh, history. Long-winded story, but it was, uh, uh, great it was story. amazing. Great it was story. Amazing. Uh, and uh, all to say, it was the craziest thing I've ever done. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. More of my conversation with Steven Sanchez coming up. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with Stephen Sanchez. Steven Sanchez is a singer. He's 21 years old. He's had a crazy few years. He just performed to hundreds of thousands of people with Elton John just a few months ago. He had this really big hit called Until I Found You, which he wrote about his ex-girlfriend and their relationship. And it was a really personal song. So when it came time to release his debut album, you would think that, oh, there's going to be more personal songs on this. More vulnerability, as the kids say. Instead, Steven did something pretty unexpected. Instead of writing more songs about his personal life, he wrote a completely fictional album. It's called Angel Face, and it sees Stephen really leaning more into that 1960s crooner style that has brought him his success. But why, when you have success as a, as a vulnerable personal artist, would you make your debut album entirely fictional? And we get into that. But I started out this part of our conversation with some music. Take a listen. Do you need the Sandman? It is. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You don't hear the theremin anymore. It wasn't my doing. It was. Uh, it was Bobby Goldsboro's doing. The guy who sang "Honey." Oh yeah. That's a so fun fact. If you didn't know, uh, that song was written from a sped up or slowed down sample of "Honey" by Bobby Goldsboro. By Bobby Goldsboro. The first ten seconds, just the intro, and then and then we wrote the rest of the song. Oh, cool. See the tree, how big it's grown, but friend, it hasn't been too Very cool. Long. I'm not crazy about Honey by Bobby Goldsboro, to be honest. It's a terribly sad song, It actually. is, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, but I, I just remember there was this line in it that's like, I put something around her neck and then I said, what the heck, or something like that. Like, I don't know. Oh, I, I said, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, not, it's I'm, just, yeah. No, no disrespect to the estate of Bobby Goldsboro. Yeah, it's just like, all right, man, there, there could have been a better lyric there. <laughs> I mean, you really, really could have been, yeah. Um, uh, in the limited time we, we have left, I, I just want to talk a little bit about this record. Um, 
So can you very briefly, because we don't want to give too much away, explain the sure. concept behind the album? And also, after everything you, you told me, well, actually, maybe I'll ask that in a second. Can you just give us the brief Cole's notes of the concept record? Of- Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it is the, the, the life, the love, and the death of famed crooner, the troubadour Sanchez, whose career was launched back in 1958 after playing Until I Found You, and then releasing a tremendous amount of hits over the years until he landed himself a residency at a club called The Angel, uh, which was owned by a mob boss named Hunter in 1964, where he meets Hunter's girlfriend Evangeline, and the troubadour and Evangeline spark up a secret romance, trying to escape their separate realities and uh, end up landing into some hot water because of it. If you if you look at the these artists that you were just talking to me about, at some point in their careers, they they did release sort of concepty records. Mm-hmm. McCartney, uh, of course, with the Beatles, puts mm-hmm. out um, uh, Sgt. Pepper's. You know, oh, yeah. um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Elton John, as the years go by, releases more more concept records. I mean, you know, there there are Killers records which are seen to be more concept records. Totally, you know what I mean. Uh, but they were earlier in their careers after they'd sort of established themselves. Sure. What I find interesting about you is you get all this attention on you from that that song we were just talking mm-hmm. about, and it, the the time has come for uh, and I admire this in you. Um, the time has come for the big, uh, hey, this is my own record. Nice job with the cough button. Uh, nice little cough. Well, most people just cough, and I have to edit it out afterwards. <laughs> I don't have to edit it out. They edit it out. Look at this face I'm getting right now for me. Like a, I don't have to do anything around here. Yeah. Uh, Vanessa has to edit it out afterwards. There it is. Um, but I, uh, yeah, sorry, Vanessa, sorry for pretending that I do any work. Uh, the, 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 the point being is that it's, it's later in their careers that they, they do that. You for the big A, everyone's looking at me. Yeah. Time for the debut record. Albums obviously mean a lot to you. Yeah. You go concept record right off the wazoo. Oh, yeah. Why? You know, I, I think when it came down to like making this record, it was just until I found you happened. And then Evangeline happened. And it was just, it kind of set the stage like, oh, man, I would love to release a record that was all of these sounds that I love from that time. And as we started writing the record, it just kind of presented itself naturally as a story. You know, Evangeline became a character. And then we played around with the idea just playfully, like, what if I was a 1950s crooner? Like, what would my band name be? Like, James Brown and his famous flames, Elvis Presley and the Blue Moon Boys. Like, what would Stephen Sanchez be? And it was now Stephen Sanchez and the Mooncrests. So the boys in the band are the Mooncrests. But you're not feeling any, like... I mean, I, I again, I admire it, and it's it, it's 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 great. But I I, I love that there's there's some tenacity there to be like, hey, everyone, all eyes are on me. I'm gonna I'm gonna not, this is not going to be personally revealing. I'm gonna tell you a story. Yeah, I I just think it's just more interesting. Like, think about all the music that's out right now. It's very much it's very personal. I, every bit of music right now mm-hmm. is very very personal. It's either about a very personal breakup or or a s- circumstance in one's life. Something like, you're going through. Something you're going through. Yeah, and and this is just about characters so everybody can be a part of it. You know, I, I feel like I've lost people in the sense where I've just written about, and maybe it's just me, like maybe this is not a universally experienced feeling, but I just, I've written songs that have been about my life, you know, and I I think I expect people to understand, you know, what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people just, you can't expect them to. You mm-hmm. can't expect them to understand your perspective mm-hmm. on things, like your feelings on things. But mm-hmm. to write a record that can be universally received because it's about fake characters and people can make up whatever they want because there's not this like 
because there's not the, res- the restriction, you know, on it that like this is about this. This one. This not. This is about this one thing. This that is about this right? one thing that happened. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. We're yeah. like, you know, I mean, it can just, it can just exist in whatever space people need it to. If words could just hold you, tell me you feel me. Oh, just to know you, tell me you see me. I could have said it. And I, I just love storytelling. I've found it's just so exciting for me, and I feel like doing that in a debut record just feels exciting because it just makes it more special. It makes it feel more impactful that even just personally, like, it's just like, this wasn't just about my feelings, like, and now it's five years later and I don't feel those things that way anymore. And it's like, I, I'm very much a person where like, if I've processed something and I've gotten over it, like, I, I don't really have much of an emotional attachment to the thing that happened mm-hmm. as much. Whereas this, because it is very much something outside of myself, like, it feels like I can be as excited about it as like a fan might, because... I'm like all oh, these characters. And like, yeah, you got to make a movie. Dead. Yeah, it's like a mo- exactly. Um, you're man, you're a, a singularly uh, uh, progressive uh, man, and, uh, oh, uh, and and interesting, and uh, in in the way you think about this music. Um, I really Thank do you. appreciate you coming in. Um, Thanks for chatting. Well, I wish we had more time to to kick it. But you know what? Next really next time nice. you come, we'll we'll get them to book you three hours. That'd be beautiful. That'd we'll, be wonderful. We'll put cucumbers over our eyes. <laughs> yeah. And we'll put on some spa music. Amazing. Yeah, and you yeah, know, and yeah. we'll, you know, just, we'll get buried in the sand up to our necks like on these nice. doing beaches in the it's 60s. Great. It's a very beautiful thing. My conversation with Steven Sanchez, his debut album is called Angel Face. It's out everywhere now. He's also on tour. For dates, go to stevensanchezofficial.com. I got to tell you, I, I I really like talking to Steven Sanchez. I was a little, I don't know, I wasn't nervous, but I was kind of like, why is this guy playing all this older music? Maybe maybe I have like some maybe I have my hackles up as someone who likes older music. Like I'm I'm suspicious of maybe there's some self-hatred there. I'm suspicious of it. Uh, but I'm very grateful to Steven Sanchez and he has such a great authentic love of those of those old songs. I think what I was trying to avoid was like a kids these days kind of thing from the two of us. Our kids these days don't even know what a chorus is. Kids these days couldn't tell you a, a a bridge from the bridge to Terabitha. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to. I didn't want to do Terabithia. Anyway, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. And I'm happy. I'm happy. Stephen Sanchez has one foot in the past and one foot in the future as well. The other conversation we have up today, similar story, I guess. In some ways, uh, Nanaland was this like kids trippy kids TV show that ended in 2003 in Canada. Big on TikTok right now. So the guys have had to get the band back together, the puppeteers. We found out during this interview that they haven't talked to each other in like 15 years or like not in person in 15 years. So you're going to hear um, a bit of an accidental reunion with the two folks behind Nanolands, the other episode we have up today on our podcast. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.